This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or you're hoping to level up your dev team, Laracasts was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at Laracasts.com. And thanks again to Laracast for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience, product design, unit testing, and system administration. I'm Adam Wathen, your host, as always. And today I'm here with two recurring guests, uh, Dave Marshall. Hi, everyone. And Jeffrey Way. Hey, everyone. So uh, what kind of prompted this episode is there was like a Not really a debate, but an interesting conversation that happened on Twitter around the whole uh, don't mock what you don't own thing, right? And what that really means and the implications that that has on the sort of tests and stuff that you're writing. And uh, some good discussion happened around it, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about it uh, on the podcast. So, Dave, when someone says, like, don't mock what you don't own, do you have, like, a, a definition for that? Or what does that mean to you when you're thinking about that in your head? Well, I have a definition, but... I base my definition on the sort of the books and the paper that, that that phrase originally came from, which I don't think is really all that applicable because most of the time when people say it, they they say it in a context that is literally just they just they come out with it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yep. It's it's not because so as to my understanding is this came the whole phrase came about in the uh, mock roles not objects paper uh, from the, a bunch of guys at ThoughtWorks and. And when they're talking about it, this is, they're 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 writing that TDD thing. You know, they are doing full test-driven development, and they are doing the what they call the interface discovery or or, or need-driven development. They are trying to decipher the protocols that their objects are going to use to talk to each other. And so they use the phrase "don't mock what you don't own" because they use mocks, mock objects, to design the software. And you can't design a type that you don't own. You can't change it. Hmm. What it actually gets used a lot for is literally just that, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of testing you are doing, don't mock what you don't own, which can, I suppose, can lead to where it's kind of vague, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about, like, the way that people use it in the sort of, like, you know, interface discovery sort of world. Like, that That totally makes sense, where you're kind of mocking things that don't even exist yet, usually, right? You're, you're mocking interfaces before you even create them and then kind of like backfilling in the implementation after you've sort of designed like all the communication that's going to happen in your system. And I think that totally makes sense. But I think you're right too, that when people say it, most of the time they just like throw it out there. And I think what it's usually what I've always interpreted it as, um, like when someone says that to me, usually they're, I feel like they're telling me like, you know, you should be creating your own object that does this, that, you know, wraps the actual object and then you can mock that and we only ever talk about like the stuff that's on the inside of that discussion like we're talking about yeah you have to wrap that up so you can mock it and now everything's fine but everyone forgets about like well, what about the implementation how do you test the implementation if we're not mocking uh what we don't own so how do you guys normally do that 
So just to clarify, you do agree, though, that it's a good idea to wrap it up. Totally. I 100% agree with okay, that. Okay. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I mean, th- th- that was a huge eye-opener to me, that basic concept of, all right, you have this thing, and, and this guideline we have of don't mock what you don't own. So instead, you wrap that up in something you do own, and then anywhere in your system, you have this new boundary, and then you can mock that, because that's what you own. Okay. So yeah, I agree that that makes perfect sense, but then you're right. Nobody goes off to the other side where it's like, well, you still at some point need to make sure that this this implementation or this thing that does touch uh, an external API actually works. And then how do you do that? And I've, I've done all of it. I, I've When we were talking about this discussion on Twitter, I said I'd mock it. And here's the most interesting thing. Literally two or three days after that, I realized that's probably not a good idea. I was in the process of uh, the, the company I run, Laracast, uses Stripe behind the scenes, and I use the Stripe PHP package. And I was in the process of upgrading to the next API because I was still using the older API and they had made some breaking changes in the last six months or so. So I updated all of that and I pushed it up. Everything seemed fine. All of the tests passed. And then I start getting emails from people who said, I canceled my account, but you still charged me the next day. So, so what turned out is, is I made some mistake along the way, or there was some kind of API difference that I didn't account for. And even though all my mocks were passing, because sometimes when you're mocking, it's like, okay, I made sure that I called this method, but I never actually made sure that these were the correct parameters. So yeah, you can just assert that anything is passed to the method, but you're not verifying that actually what got sent to the API was sufficient enough to, to do whatever you needed it to do. So in this case, the API call I made to to uh, cancel the user's subscription wasn't correct anymore, and I had no way of knowing that. So I start getting these emails. I canceled my account, but you still charge me. And of course, I look in and I see I made a mistake. So literally that night, I started writing uh, actual integration tests. I wrapped it up. I still have um, my Stripe interaction wrapped up in a class, which is good. But then for that class alone, I actually hit the API. So I don't know how many test methods there are maybe a dozen each of those hit the api it's not ideal it's slow but you know what it actually gives me assurance that it actually does what it says it does so yeah a very long-form way to say you know what we're taught that that's really bad and that was harnessed into me it's like no you don't touch the api you mock it worst case scenario you use something like vcr so that you hit the api absolutely once and then and then you're good to go but you know what sometimes i think it's just worth it uh Many times when we're mocking our code, we, I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't fully trust the tests where it's like, okay, it says it's green, but I'm not sure I 100% trust that this does what I think it does. So yeah, a a handful of integration tests, I think, uh, are the only way to do it at this point. But the the thing that's interesting about that, I think, is like, you know, you say it's not ideal, whatever, but I kind of think that that is ideal and that is what we're supposed to be doing. But there's this like message out there somewhere that says that you're not supposed to integration test anything. You know, the integration tests are a scam thing, like the JB Rainsberger thing. But I promise you that even if you talked to him about this problem, he would say yeah, that, yes, you integration test those. You know what I mean? Like, So I feel like really experienced testers all would say that this is the right thing to do. Like I was talking to, um, you know, Constantine Everzet at, at Laracon about some of the, the stuff as well, because it's been an interesting topic for me for a while. 
And uh, I was talking about this project I'm working on, uh, this like PSR2 code sniffing tool that I've been building. And one of the things it has to do is it has to add a user to a team on your GitHub account when you first activate it on your first repository. And I couldn't figure out like, what is a good way to test this? Like it has nothing really to do. I can't assert against state in my own system. I can only check against like, did the team get created on GitHub? Did the user get added to the team on GitHub? And that's a really hard thing to create an automated test for because I have to have like a test organization that I create as an account on GitHub with a username and a password, you know what I mean? That I somehow clean out every single time. And I was talking to uh, Everzet about this and he was saying, yep, that's totally what you should do if you need to automate it. But this whole idea comes into play where like, do you actually need to automate that test? And he was talking about this idea of how kind of doing a risk assessment on your code and risk assessment on like the certain things that your code is doing can actually like influence the way you design the system. So he was saying what he would do is he would, he would try and bundle up any of those things that we think would be really hard to test in like an automated way into one place and manually test the crap out of it and make sure that it works and keep it all bundled in one place that he never ever has to touch it again and never has to run automated tests against it so that he can mock that and trust that, that that's working because it would be too hard or not too hard, but like it's a big investment to uh, to test it in an automated way. I don't know. I see you nodding your head, Dave. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, that's about return on investment for me. I mean, I actually I actually thought this the other day. I'm pretty sure you were talking about some a particularly hard test you had, and you said like they're going to be slow, and even if they run only once a month, you know, that I want I want something. And about after that conversation, some time passed, and I was thinking, and it, like it clicked to me. He said once a month, and you know, I mean, this sounds like quite a, a nasty joke, but th- I mean, that's what interns are for, right? <laughs> you know, um, if it needs running once a month, you need to specify the test, you know, and have a someone yourself, anybody could actually still go through that test manually. Now, if you've specified it and documented it correctly, you know, it's no different really than firing up the continuous integration server or whatever's going to run those horrible tests for you once a month now what Constantine's saying there is really right it's you know you have to make decisions about that kind of thing and running these tests maintaining these tests is an investment and what kind of benefit are you going to get out of it now Jeffrey just described a big benefit because you know he had a an error in production code that when billing is the, the the one thing where we don't want like production code to go wrong right but again those tests I mean you, you, I think Jeff said there were what, half a dozen uh, tests on his Stripe wrapper. Um, depending on how often they run, I mean, if he, if that was a recent thing, it might be working out okay now. But you know, sometime down the line, they might start to become brittle and might start to become annoying. Um, I have a fairly recent example of myself. Um, we use, we have we offer Facebook sort of a registration and login, you know, to our site. And particularly the registration, that's quite a, an important thing for us. So I wanted some integration tests to cover the actual process of registering via Facebook. And it started out okay, but I was starting to get frustrated. If you've, I don't know if you ever use the Facebook test users API, but it can take maybe a second to actually create a test user. But I found that it actually takes up to five to six seconds to delete that test user, which is something I tend to like to do at the end of a test, you know, tear down yeah. what I've just used. And that wasn't so bad, but... I started to get a little bit frustrated while I was developing a couple of features around that and I was running those tests manually myself as I was working. And I just thought, oh, I'll just uncomment. Oh, sorry, I'll comment out the the line that tears down the users so I didn't have to wait for that five or six seconds. 
to actually delete the user during my test. I just thought I'd leave them there and they'll get deleted another date. However, I forgot to uncomment that line and commit that code to production. Sorry, not to production, but to the repo. And then literally about a month ago, all of a sudden my continuous integration build started failing. And apparently I'd hit the limit of uh, Facebook test users. <laughs> uh, there is a limit and it is in the thousands. So not only did I then have to come up with another way to sort of pack this thing to make these tests bearable to use, uh, but also to keep my, you know, keep the confidence in the system is working but i also had to write a script to delete thousands and thousands of uh, test users because you can only you can't just say delete them all you have to delete them one at a time yeah so it's one of those things i think integration test if you you mentioned jb uh, rainsberger's post the integration test are a scam i i feel like they are a scam but they're just they're an absolute requirement for me i, I couldn't imagine testing without them um i think uh, that blog post that the integration tester is scam we all say it like that all the time, but I think that if, when you read the whole post, it is, you know, you can suffix the integration tests are a scam if you think they can replace unit tests is what the he's he's trying to say. You yeah, know? and I think what he's saying, like right. when he says scam too, he's not saying like you shouldn't have any of them. He's saying like the return on investment of them is like much lower compared to a unit test, like to cover all the different possibilities in the system with integration tests requires an order of magnitude more integration tests than it would to try and cover it at the unit test level and trying to design the system such that you can cover as much of that as possible at the unit test level right but then people of course get the cliff notes they don't even read the article <laughs> and they go around on twitter and say integration testing is bad and then it's like well you know what i everything he wrote i i would agree with but you still have you need to have the integration testing at some level or or otherwise you push it to production and all the once again all the unit tests are green and your application doesn't work i've seen that so many times i've written that so many times so once again for me it, it always comes back to assurance just like can i sleep at night without this and if the answer is no then i don't necessarily care what a blog article says yeah you know? yeah for sure it's like the whole for me anyways the goal is like what can i write in this test method such that if this test is green i believe that the system works <laughs> you know what i mean because the whole goal for me is to kind of get confidence out of it right there's an element of like trying to drive your design to i don't know if i buy into that like at at such a high level as some people like I like writing tests first because it gives me a place to scaffold out an API for the class that I'm writing you know what I mean just as much as you might just write it in an empty text file just kind of thinking oh well, how would I want this to work like if you're going to do that might as well do it in a test why not right um, but yeah the main goal for me is just to make sure that that stuff actually works I've been playing more recently with using fakes for a lot of stuff like this sometimes where I'm not necessarily integration testing against like the actual third party thing, but I'm putting something in place of it such that I'm not actually mocking something or setting expectations or uh, stubbing something in such a fine grained way in my test. So like an example would be that same project I was talking about. There's some things that have to like push data up to GitHub, but the vast majority of it is pulling stuff from GitHub. Um, so I created like a fake API client that has the same API as my like GitHub API wrapper, but it just goes to the file system for everything. And all the files, like whatever the GitHub API call is, you know, like users slash five slash repositories, whatever, I end up just like replacing all the forward slashes with dots and make that a file name and a fixture in a folder somewhere. So anytime someone asks for that endpoint, they get like hard fixture data out of 
um, a folder and I can make assertions against that. There's a, it kind of sucks in some ways because I'm not able to specify the data that I want to assert against necessarily in the test like you would with a factory, right? Where you can kind of say like, well, this is the stuff that I'm putting on the API. When I request this back, I'm expect I can check and see those two values in the same test. You end up having to like dive into the fixture file and see, well, why am I asserting that this equals this ID uh, when that's only contained in the fixture instead of the test? But I've still found them to be like really helpful tests for letting me know that everything's kind of wired up properly. Do you guys do stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just want to go on something you just said there. You mentioned the database, or you mentioned a factory, actually. And that's something I thought it would be good to just talk about is because um, we, when we use a, you just we're talking about APIs for a minute there, but a database is just as much a, a third-party API, if you like, as those HTTP APIs. But most of the time, we have control over the, over the database, a lot more control, should I say. And you mentioned using a tool like uh, the factories, like Factory Girl is the the, the one we all, we all think of when we do that. And Factory Girl really does allow you to set up that test, meaning... I mean, do you even think twice about integration tests for databases? I used to think a lot no. about them. Like, I used to feel guilty about them and try and find ways around them until I realized that that was a stupid thing to do. And, like, yeah. you know, like, uh, how Mockery provides the facility to do, like, those, like, Demeter chain, like, mocks where you can, like, have a string that has arrows in it? As a string, <laughs> Which, yeah. um, So I used to do stuff like that with, like, um, fluent interfaces for, like, talking to it's the database. So bad. And then I real, oh, And yeah. eventually you realize like this is not like accomplishing anything and i'm kind of starting to see like doing the same thing with like an http client where i'm saying well this should receive a get with this url like that proves nothing just like the 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 database one proves nothing so it's interesting that you bring up kind of the yeah but with the the database one you can because you've got tools like factory girl or the laravel has those uh the factories built in now i believe uh, that jeffrey made and we can we can set up the fixtures in the database really easily from within our test, and we're off to the races to to actually test our stuff. Now the opposite side is those HTTP APIs, where and you mentioned you you were using the file system to set up fixtures. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with a HTTP API, or very unlikely to be able to do it well. So we do things like user fake. I do the same thing for our payment gateway. Um, I don't have end-to-end automated tests for our payment system i have the ability to do it but it's something i do i do i'd set up occasionally and do myself rather than actually run i run all of ours against a fake and that is a it's a literally a, a fake http api and it's not ideal but it means i can run a lot of tests fast and they're not very brittle and it also means I have full control over the data that it returns. So I can, if I need to set up a subscription that's going to um, expire in three days, you know, I can I can do it. Which is something you can't really do, even with the even if you have a a, a test Stripe account, or I believe you can yeah. have test API keys. To, mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted to do that, would you have to set up a, a plan that expires in three days and sign them up just so you can? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, if you're trying to set up some very like specific condition, like yeah, I think it depends on the the third party service, right? Which is why these things are are really time intensive to figure out how to automate sometimes because maybe one API will give you the control that you need to programmatically set it up in a state that you want to test against. Maybe the Stripe API doesn't in some places. Like maybe you do have to go into the UI and create the plans that you want on the test account and leave them there permanently to run tests against them. So it's tricky. Um, we did like a whole project I've been working on 
is really Elasticsearch heavy. Like there's no actual database. It's all Elasticsearch. And we spent a few days building up basically the testing infrastructure to be able to run end-to-end tests against Elasticsearch in such a way that we could easily seed it with the data that we wanted, have like factories for creating Elasticsearch data and stuff like that. And um, that's kind of the project that got me thinking about this a lot more because it was one of those topics where like you go looking around on the internet and like no one's talking about it, but how are people integration testing against this stuff in a sane way that where they can like quickly create new tests with the right data that they need if people aren't doing it um so that's why i thought it was kind of an interesting thing to talk about and kind of find out how people are doing it or maybe people aren't doing it much maybe people are just kind of relying on that idea of you know if i can test that piece manually and make sure that works and just try to you know keep the risk of change there as low as possible then the rest of my system i can test on its own but I don't know that I get enough um, comfort out of that. <laughs> I want to know that like everything is working, right? So, Yeah, me too. All right, well, if you think about, if we go back to the database example, let's say you're testing some kind of eloquent scope or something of that nature. You can either mock it out, which is, if we're talking about brittle, that's just ridiculous. Uh, you're basically just repeating the exact code you would write in production, which is which is silly and defeats the entire purpose. So uh, the the solution, at least in my mind, is exactly the most natural thing you would do if you didn't know about all of these rules. So you just say, well, assuming I have these records in the database, when I perform this query, then I expect that response, right? It's about the most natural and documentation specific approach you could go. You know, it, it looks exactly the way you would consume it in your production code. So that makes perfect sense. So if we switch over to an API like Stripe, I feel like, again, only for that wrapper, everything else, you're mocking your your billing interaction. But within that single class alone, I feel like the approach should probably be the same thing. Assuming that I have a new customer in Stripe, when I cancel their subscription, then they should be canceled. Yeah. You know, it, it's it seems to me kind of like the natural way to go about it. Uh, um, if it violates some rules, then I don't know. I don't worry about it that much because, again, it's like it's 10 API calls. You can exclude this because they, they admittedly are very slow, and, and that sucks. But, again, for comfort, I think it's worth it. When you run your PHP unit suite, uh, you can just exclude – you can annotate those tests like API. So you can exclude them from your regular test running. And then, you know, on push or whatever, you can add a little hook to, to just do a quick check to make all those work. And if you're good to go – then I feel yeah, like it's, it's kinda, worth it. It's kind of funny, right? It's almost know. like we're kind of tainted by all these ideas that we read about. And then, and sometimes you just have to kind of tell yourself, okay, well, like forget everything I've ever read about testing. If I wanted to prove that this worked manually, what would I do? And now how can I make the code do that exact same thing instead? You know what I mean? And that seems to be like a good approach for um, testing a lot of these third-party things anyways. Yeah, Um so another example I was going to give is that this is actual experience I had. We were interfacing with a, a third-party piece of software, and it was a really big black box type thing. And we had it was we it was very expensive software, and we had a limited number of test instances. We had four for the whole company, and our team was allocated one. Now, a particular piece of functionality I was using and to or I was developing to test end to end, I had to insert data into this black box and there's no this the the way data got into this black box was feeds from all over the internet or other services and things so this wasn't and it was an xml feed so i had to learn that protocol to insert the kind of data i needed to run my test and otherwise i had no interest in that protocol whatsoever so i had to learn quite a significant amount of stuff to get data into this thing and then not only that, but I should mention that it's, it's shared for the team. So I had to kind of like say to everyone, 
hey everyone, I'm doing <laughs> testing. Don't don't go do anything on this uh, test uh, instance. <laughs> and then um, it was incredibly slow. And it actually got to a point, um, having put quite a lot of evidence in these tests, I seem to remember at some point a stand-up, maybe a couple of weeks after it, and someone actually said, is anyone actually running those tests, as in the ones I, I wrote? Because they weren't running on the continuous integration because it was too brittle. And, and I kind of said, well, yeah, I do occasionally, but I haven't you know, regimented it or anything like that. And you know, To me, thinking about the amount of time I spent putting those tests together, to not be able to run them continuously, we couldn't. We literally didn't have the infrastructure to run them continuously. I just did not see that as a decent return on investment, especially when, whenever I put uh, out some code to do with this, when I finished a story or whatever, it would go to the business analysts and they would manually test these things anyway. Do you know what I mean? So I just felt like I had zero return on investment for those, apart from a peace of mind right at the beginning. And then that was it. It was like the value of those tests dropped off because they weren't getting run. And if tests aren't getting run, they're not worth having. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting, uh, kind of related to you know what we were talking about with this risk stuff kind of before. But I'm kind of interested in this idea that you might design your code differently based on how difficult it is to automate tests against a third-party system that's involved in this thing that you're doing. You know what I mean? Like... Like a lot of the time I have in my head that there's like some ultimate design for whatever I'm trying to build that I'm like trying to navigate my way to. But this kind of feels like it's a pressure in a different direction than that. Like there's this like assuming everything was easy to test in an automated way and would happen instantly all the time. Um, there's one final destination that I think my code would land at, which first of all, I don't actually believe is true, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I do kind of still believe that's true and that I just haven't figured it out yet, right? This kind of like naive like hope that one day I will discover like the perfect way to write software or whatever. Uh, but I find it interesting that like when you factor in these things like, okay, well, it's really hard to run any automated tests against this, you know, the system that you're talking about where you only have access to one instance and everyone's kind of sharing it. Like, how that influences the way that you design the code is interesting because it means like you want to put all interaction with that, like design it in such a way that the rest of the system can work without it. And and maybe they push you in the same way and, and maybe they don't. So I find it kind of interesting. I think like one example would be like the Laravel cashier package, right? That lets you do like the Stripe billing stuff. Uh, that's what I'm using on the application that I'm working on. And when I was trying to figure out how to run integration tests against Stripe using that, it's very, very difficult. And that is because certain decisions were made to expose a really friendly API. So that had me going down this path of kind of what it sounds like Jeffrey's doing on Laracasts, where you know, you're know you not using something like that, you're using the Stripe thing directly, creating your own wrapper that just like encapsulates every Stripe interaction in one place and you can mock out and step out interactions to that. But when you're using like cashier, you're doing things like user invoices and just get me all the invoices for the user and that goes directly to Stripe and gets it for you. So if I wanna test something that like gets me um, the invoices and I, want to integration test that I feel like I have to integration test a much bigger slice of the system a lot of time than I would if I was just integration testing the implementation of like my Stripe gateway interface or whatever um, so I don't know it's kind of interesting to think about how these different pressures can affect the way that you design your systems is that anything that you guys have thought about does that even make sense this is like a really recent thing that I've been thinking about no it, it definitely makes sense it, it, it's kind of an interesting discussion because uh, there's no doubt if you use cashier or anything that kind of takes that 
that sort of API, it, it's harder to test. Um, but we also have this thing people say where it's like the tests improve the code. So if you do it like this and your code is way better, but again, if you just take a step back from everything you've learned, it's like the API for cashier is just gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. But then at the same time, it is hard to test. So does that make it bad? Because in a perfect world, that API is exactly what you would want. You know, you just say user, subscription, uh, swap to the yearly plan. You know, it's it's about as simple and intuitive as you could possibly want. But it does it is true. Like, if you want to test that or unit test it, uh, very difficult. So I, I, I'm interested in that because we just use these blanket statements like, uh, do it like this and your code is instantly better. And I'm just not sure that's true. It kind of ties into a little bit, at least that specific example you gave. You know, that conversation that started on Twitter, I think it started around this idea of like dependency injection, right? And like, what are the the pros and cons of dependency injection? And in the PHP community, I feel like dependency injection is like the way you have to do everything all the time. I can't imagine having a dependency that's not injected, but I have a hard time even like being able to explain why I have to do that all the time. I just know that I have to do that all the time. So when you're talking about something like... um being able to change a user subscription from the user class with like an eloquent user model. If you want to be able to say user subscription swap, that Stripe gateway thing, like that's not injected as an injected dependency on that user because you don't have control over that user's constructor. No, it's made right? up in the function. And yeah. like my brain automatically registers that as bad for some reason, but I can't even like really explain, like I can't convincingly explain why. So I'd be interested in hearing like what your guys' thoughts are on that and this whole idea of, you know, is should everything always be injected all the time or is that like a pointless metric or? So I guess in that example, like if you wanted to test some code that referenced user subscription swap, but you didn't actually want to hit Stripe, I guess you would have to do, Dave will probably know more than me, I guess you would have to do like a partial mock on the user class and then say a call to subscription should return a mock mm -hmm. instance of my, of the Stripe billing class. And then you can do your searches there and it gets kind of complicated. I don't, I don't know. How do you interpret this, Dave? Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you... If you wanted to test it, you you start to get into hackery, aren't you? You're going to do things like you said. You're going to do a partial mock, or you're going to do. Um, I think I don't know what I can't remember. I can't remember what mockery calls it. Mockery calls it something like instance mocking, where we'd actually literally take over the the name of whatever the Stripe gateway class is. We'd actually you know generate a class of the same name before we could auto load the actual class. And all those kinds of things are kind of hacky, aren't they? And I personally wouldn't feel like I'd tested much if I'd done that. You know. Right. You I mean maybe you're testing the the. I mean, is the so I don't. I'm not fully uh, up to date on cashier. I remember looking at the time, but I mean, maybe if if that method was part of a sub uh, an interface, I'd feel a bit more comfortable doing so. You know, if it, if the get subscription was part of an interface that the user implements, that would make me feel better because yeah. it's less. I don't know, flaky. You know, it, it, at least I've given a contract somewhere. But going back to how we've got to this point of you feeling like you need to depend inject stuff now, if we I think we we all do most of our work in PHP, and that's definitely a factor in that feeling of having to eject everything because we don't have the dynamicness that other languages do. Um, and I also feel I don't have this battle going on that much because I do a lot of TDD and I I really do a lot of TDD, and so injecting stuff kind of just flows naturally from that. When I find myself having to wonder if I should inject it or not is when I'm not doing TDD, and that's when I'm thinking, I literally do make decisions like this. I'll be thinking, 
am I going to write unit test here? Maybe, maybe not. So maybe I should inject this. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, and I'd say if, if I should say that, uh, you know, dependency injection isn't the only way to do inversion of control. So if you really do want that sort of user, what is it, user get subscription or something like that? Do you, if you yeah, it's like user call to a subscription method. That method behind the scenes would return a new instance of like a billing gateway class. And then, so if you said user subscription swap, you're actually calling a swap method on a Stripe billing class yeah. is how that would work. So, I mean, yeah. that, that to me is kind of like a... It, it's a it is a facade, really, isn't it? To to something, you know, we're not actually the user not re- the user class isn't really doing any work, right? It's just newing something up and passing on the method. So, I mean, I'd say, yeah, maybe it's not always ideal, but if you really want that API like that, then as long as the the library provides some opportunity to invert control, whether that's by heaven forbid a, a global registry or some sort of singleton. It, it's there, and you, you you get a little bit of benefit of both, don't you? I mean, I'm sure everyone would shout singletons are evil, but they let you get around things like that. They let you get the best of both worlds. You get your nice API, and at least people do have control for testing purposes if they need, or for other purposes, you know, I don't know, again, much. I can't think of a use case where you might want to actually invert that control in production, you know, to use a custom Skype, a Skype, a Stripe. A Skype gateway. billing class. Now, that would be a good oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be used much, I don't think. <laughs> Something that I find myself doing, like, often lately that's making me, like, think more about this dependency injection stuff is I find myself often I need to new something up that I don't think of as like some really heavy collaborator that feels like it should be injected in because I'm newing it up maybe based on some other data that I have in scope at the current time. So a concrete example, this Elasticsearch thing that I was working on, we have this search criteria object that represents like the stuff that we want to pass off to Elasticsearch to actually get the results back. And it's created based on data that comes into like the query string, essentially, right? So I need to create like a new search criteria in the controller and pass that off to the Elasticsearch engine that does all this stuff and gives me back like a search result response, basically. It started off being simple because we could just create this new search criteria. I think like we even added something to it where it was like search criteria from request or something. And I would give you the search criteria object based on the query string parameters. But then we needed like some other dependency needed to be involved in mapping this search criteria. So it was something like we had like some lookup table in a config somewhere that mapped different query string parameters to different properties in the Elasticsearch document or something like that, right? Um, so now all of a sudden, whenever I needed to create a new search criteria, some work needed to be done there. And this always leads me to doing things like, okay, so now basically my search criteria, this isn't the perfect example, but the search criteria needs like this other dependency in its constructor, say, right? Like besides just the request that it's going to use. And I can't inject that because I'm newing up the search criteria in the controller unless I pass the dependency that the search criteria needs as a dependency for the controller. So I can like kind of propagate it through that way but it feels kind of weird that the controller now has this dependency because it knows that this other class has this dependency which leads me to doing something like creating a search criteria factory so that that can take the dependency and inject yeah, the factory that's what I was about to say. and then new up an instance of the search criteria from the factory and i feel like i end up having these classes all the time that are like named after patterns and it like rubs me the wrong way <laughs> and it starts to feel like you know everything everybody hated about java all the time so that's why like this topic is kind of interesting to me but i still don't know like what the 
what the alternative is there. Do you guys have any ideas? Does that make sense? Like, is that pretty clear? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, so it's that that two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? You know, we, we you mean, I know you guys like uh, Ruby and the, so the Ruby guys, they just wouldn't, or the Ruby people, sorry, they wouldn't bother with depend injecting any dependencies because if they really need to test it, they'll 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 go the, the route they do to uh, to do what they need to do. Whereas the Java guys have got you know full static language and this the kind of thing that uh, the Ruby guys do would involve changing bytecode and all that kind of horrible stuff. So they start to develop these patterns. And I don't. I think we sit somewhere in the middle uh, as PHP developers, and I think it's almost like we're that makes it worse for us. We've got the choice, uh, but we we don't always want to do one or the other. I mean, we could, you know, we could. There are ways of doing sort of monkey patching with PHP, but do we really want to? I mean, I I think uh, last time I looked, the the libraries are getting a lot better, and then, I mean, you used to have to compile a PHP extension to do it. Now at yeah. least you can do it in Useland code and stuff. But it's still not something I like doing if I don't if I can get away without doing it. And Especially because the, the language doesn't make it easy, right? Like you yeah. end up having to eval stuff at runtime and like try and inject that in before the autoloader runs. So the, like right. lots of weird stuff. That's it. It's weird. It's like it, it used to be hard because you had to compile an extension that the official one was out of date and didn't work, but there was some patched one somewhere in GitHub you could use. And then now it's these like, uh, I believe they inject uh, stream handlers. So literally as the autoloader's reading the file, it rewrites the fly- file on the fly, you know, to insert point cuts and things. And then we also don't want to be going down the whole route of the the full-on enterprise Java stuff, do we? I mean, I I try and avoid factory as much as we can. It's, yeah. it's just not a nice word, is it? Yeah. Um, my, <laughs> oh, it's not. No, my, my, I mean, I use a, a, a like a service container. And that thing is way too full of stuff. And it's usually because I don't want to write a factory. I get to the point where really, because that's what you're doing. When, as soon as you use some sort of uh, inversion of control container, really that's just a class full of factories. That's what it is at the bottom, at the end of the day. And I actually find myself putting things in there. You know, I'd be saying to my, my container, give me a search criteria. So I'm just, I'm really, I'm just avoiding calling some sort of factory at that point, you know. You're yeah, just I've done the same name, thing, and right. I do the same thing with lots of things. Like, I've started I'm playing more and more with, like, using anonymous functions as factories a lot of the time, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I can just, like, lazy instantiate things by, you know, it takes, like, I think, actually, in, the like, the Laravel source code, Taylor uses a lot of things where he'll call them, like, something resolver, and it's always just a closure, just so he can, like, yes. create something on the fly. I even find, like, I... I feel sick to my stomach if I see the word repository in my code base. So I find like other ways around that too. So in this project I'm working on now, anywhere that I would have, um, you know, like a user repository, I just have a class called users instead. And it feels better, even though it's the exact same thing, because it doesn't have this like weird technical programmery word in it. And once these classes that have these weird programmery words in them start getting used everywhere in my system, I feel like my ubiquitous language is like just falling and crumbling to pieces. You know what I mean? The problem with that. So no user command handler for you, Adam? Absolutely not. Under no circumstances. (laughs) I mean, the funny thing about this project that I'm on, though, is like, that actually don't like spawned from needing a repository for these repository objects because it's related to GitHub, right? So I had like a repository repository, and uh, that felt pretty upsetting. So <laughs> renaming yeah. that to repositories felt a little bit better. <laughs> What's most been educating? 
what's most been educational for me is, especially in the last year, I feel like I've I've always known this, but I've I've really been exposed to it more in the last year, is just this idea that once again, basically no one agrees on everything. And then when you just go across to different communities, they all have very different views on this subject. So like, especially in the PHP world, when, when certain people are just so adamant that it has to be done this way, it's like, well, just step over the railroad tracks and they're doing it completely different. So it's interesting to see how much of this is just kind of based upon uh, the limits of the language, especially, but then also just notable people in the community. So many of our best practices, this is very true, so many of our best practices just kind of come down from some some influential people at the top who say this is a good way to do it, and then we're all just kind of looking like, what's a good way to do this? Because it's very difficult. So you find that just a handful of people saying this is a good idea cascades down, and then suddenly that becomes part of the culture for the community, which is why you go to the Ruby community, and it's like dependency injection isn't like some big thing there. Some people do it, but in general... Uh, there are ways to get around it. the The idea of interfaces, like they're not obsessed with it. They they, they have don't no problem even have with the concrete. Right? <laughs> they don't even have it. They're, they they have no problem with the idea yeah. of a concrete class. Whereas here, it's like no, everything has to be flipped. You are not allowed to talk to anything except an interface. And and you see how we kind of move towards that Java land, which I, I think can be a little bit scary. So it, I think it's educational and and beneficial for me at least to know that like. Nobody knows what they're talking about, and uh, you know, in- including all of us. And it's we're all figuring this out, and that's why these. Um, I think Dave knows what he's talking not, about. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not being disrespectful <laughs> to anyone. I'm, I'm including just, I'm everyone. It's like we're all just kind of figuring this stuff out. The, st- the code we're writing right now is, is vastly different from the code we were writing five yeah. years ago. We're moving in the right direction, but I just feel like we haven't figured a lot of this stuff out. So it rubs me the wrong way sometimes on Twitter when people are just so adamant about things being bad because who yeah, knows? It's funny how different communities yeah. like in- interpret things differently too, right? And kind of like take different things away from them. Uh, like you're talking about the dependency injection thing, like in Ruby land, like that's almost considered like a dirty word, but it's not in PHP. It's like when someone learns about it in PHP, they're like, Oh, this is so cool. Like, wow, this really helps what I'm doing. And people has a very positive, like a uh, connotation where it doesn't in Ruby land. Another example I can think of is like just last night I was, um, you know, poking around on Twitter and Ryan Singer and Jason freed from Basecamp were both tweeting with Eric Evans about domain driven design. And these guys are product designers at Basecamp, and they're so into this, you know, thing. And Eric Evans just put out this like uh, this course on ubiquitous language and stuff, or something. Um, it looked kind of kind of interesting. But DDD in the PHP community is this very heavy pattern associated thing. Like that's what I think of when I see people talking about it in PHP. People are talking about value objects and entities and repositories and this big map of different things like that's on the cover of that PDF or whatever. But you see other people in another community talking about it and they're all they're talking about is how exciting it is to be thinking about modeling systems in a way that represents the same way people are talking about it in real life. You know what I mean? And it's like two totally different takes on it and valuing totally different parts of you know what it's all about. So it is really refreshing to go into other communities and see how people interpret different concepts and what takeaways they got from it versus the takeaways that maybe people got from it in the community you're more involved in and stuff like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just uh, going to what Jeffrey said, I mean, I believe you, I think you had a the title of the last time you were on this show was How Does It Feel? And I think all these different opinions, because I literally just, I'm really confident and comfortable with how I write code nearly all the time. I just write stuff. 
and it's not even just a case of how do I feel about it now. It's like, have, do I feel the pain later? You know, if I've had to update this code five times within a week and it's been difficult, you know, I'm feeling the pain then. But um, so in terms of like understanding this stuff and knowing what's best, I honestly don't really care most of the time. Um, you've got it far worse than I have, Jeffrey, because you're 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 an educator. You know you. Yeah, you're in this hard. position where you've got to be teaching this stuff, and how do you know what to be teaching, on, or in, or definitely not even necessarily what to be teaching? Because you should, I guess, you should be teaching everything. It's like, how do you remain impartial when you know this might not be the best thing for everyone? Uh, which, well, everything, everything is not definitely not the thing, the best thing for everyone, isn't it? Um, I, I feel sorry for you. I, I mean, I quite often see these conversations on Twitter. Tend not to get involved too much and sort of send a message to someone I know. Uh, privately just to add my two cents that it really is just you know it's my opinion and i don't don't feel too strongly about it because you know i'm just com- happy with the way i'm doing things if that makes yeah. sense I, I guess the answer would be for for Laracas, how do i be impartial uh, don't don't be impartial you know it's like the best i am is just what i've come to learn and what i think about these things yeah. and and it, that what the, the truth is that changes a lot so even if you look like when the site launched a few years ago the way i think about code is very different and I, I can't apologize for it. You know, at any time, it's just reflective of, of how I think about code at this time. And in five years, that, that could be different, but that's just the way it is, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just the way it is. I don't find Laracast comes across as, like, crazy opinionated, though, compared to some other things that you see. Like, if you see, like, Destroy All Software or something, like, Gary Bernhardt has, like, very strong opinions about everything. And maybe that's just, like, a personality thing. But it, I'm interested in knowing, like, do you do you make, like, an effort to kind of, like, be more impartial? Or are you more interested in, like, pushing people, like, pushing the ideas that you really believe in? Or... Um, I feel like I'm pretty good, especially in the last year. I feel like I'm pretty good at saying, do whatever you want at the end of the day. So uh, a lot of the videos I've done recently are like, okay, so here's the thing you need to do. You could do it like this, or you could do it like this, or you could do it like this. Make up your own mind is what I often say at the end of the videos. Make up your own mind. Because it's like, I don't know what you're building. And if you're building this thing, then requirements are going to be different. Demands will be different. Whether you have interns (laughs) to do these tests, you know, that's completely different than the guy just building his first site. And sometimes they get conflated which is which is such a huge problem the 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 beginner reading those like the tech bibles it's like that wasn't meant for you but you want to learn this stuff we all want to learn this stuff but then that gets applied to this lower level stuff um it gets tough so so yeah for me it's like i definitely have opinions i have opinions on what feels right and we talked about it a lot uh but i try to show those and then say but you could also do it like this make up your own mind and i think that's the best i can do but, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to like do a bunch of videos on things that I don't subscribe to personally. I feel like that would be dishonest, right? So it's it's kind of like if if you like that approach, then Laracast is awesome. Otherwise, um, <laughs> go somewhere else. You know, being being friendly, like go somewhere else and learn a, a different approach. It's the best awesome. I can do. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about related to uh, this idea of like things that are hard to test? Everything. I don't know. Oh, okay. Let's talk about this. A, a few weeks ago, Grumpy Programmer was was tweeting and he was just saying like he can't understand why more people aren't testing their code. And and I think my response was I think a lot of people forget just how difficult it really was. We uh, we all do it now, so it, a lot of it's second nature, and we're still trying to figure some of this stuff out. But in general, like your basic unit tests, like it's kind of second nature at this point. But it's it's sometimes hard to. F- 
it's hard to remember just how difficult it was at the beginning. When, like, we, we talked about dependency injection years ago in the PHP community. That wasn't a thing. Nobody was talking about it. So when it came to unit testing, nobody knew about that. We were just told touching a database is evil. So it's like you had all of these restrictions on how it's supposed to be. And nobody knew what they were doing. And then I think if you look back in hindsight, the reality is all the people being really vocal about the right way to do it weren't testing at all. I, I think that people who talk about testing versus the people who actually do it every day, there's a big spread there. So um, I think it's I, I, I try to talk a lot about the fact like this is this is difficult stuff. It's worth it. Um, but this isn't something where you just buckle down for a week and then you got it. You know, it's something you're going to work at for years, but um, it's very much worth it. Did you guys have trouble getting into the, the testing world or did it feel natural? I mean, there's a few things that I wish like I had learned sooner. Probably the biggest one was was to not be afraid to like use real objects and real collaborators and not worry too much about test doubles and stuff like that. Like I think when I was first getting into it, I was reading all this stuff that was that was meant for people who knew more than I did, right? Like kind of like you're saying where learning how to mock things and learning how to stub things and then you end up trying to apply them in the wrong way and you end up with like that Demeter chain mock thing with trying to test a database query that we were talking about because you just don't know how to separate like what stuff is that for from what stuff that's not for and like it's almost hard to remember like what it felt like to not understand that because it seems like so much more clear to me now but um that was a really big thing for me when I when I realized like hey like it's actually like really easy to test a lot of this stuff if you just like use the real chunks of your system and just make the computer do exactly what you would do by hand to make sure that it worked. And I wish someone had just told me like that's probably the best way to get started before worrying about some of this other stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because so much of it I feel for me boils down to like forget what you learned. It, it, the, the whole thing about like learn the rules and then ignore the rules, I think is kind of true. When I was first learning about testing in PHP, the rule was, and this was just back then, it was a rule. It wasn't a guideline. It wasn't a recommendation. It was just rules. A unit test is something that specifically tests one class and never anything else. There, every other possible collaborator is mocked. And then you talk to some of the people um, or you listen to podcasts from some of the people at the top who wrote those books who recommend this. They're like, no, if, 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 if talking to a database and a certain example makes sense and it's fast and it, it works well for you, then that's fine. It's funny, you know? right? Because like when Kent Beck wrote like the TDD book, like there were not really test doubles or test double frameworks or anything. Like he used the real objects all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. So it's like, that's how I learned it. And it's like, is it any wonder that it was very difficult and you end up resorting to these very weird uh, sets of mocks that really don't make sense in this scenario? Because you're you're just trying to follow these rules that you're given. And then once you stick with it for a while, you realize like, no, it makes sense here. In this case, it doesn't matter. And, and you just learn to be much more reasonable. And I always learn that the people kind of the, the people at the top who really um, codified these types of things, they're very reasonable. When you talk to them, it's the people who consume the books and then broadcast it on Twitter that that you have to be worried about. And, and we're all not including you guys, but I know I've been um, a victim of that. It, it's it's just something we have to deal with. Yeah, I uh, I struggled against testing. Um, now, and the reason why I struggled, I actually wanted to do those outside in style integration tests because I didn't really understand or know about unit tests. But I was at a time when I just don't think the tooling was up to the standard, especially that we have now. So, in terms of, I, this wasn't when we. This was before I had a decent using a framework. I was writing the old school PHP four style. So if you wanted to hit a, a particular URL, you were going through Apache, 
which meant for us using Selenium. Now, getting Selenium up and running back, this was 10 10 plus years ago, I think. That was a nightmare for us. It's still hard. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not nice, is it? Um, At one point, we switched to using a Python test framework to drive Selenium, and we didn't know know Python at all then, so that was difficult. And even in the database, we had this massive database, like uh, hundreds of tables, and... There was no nothing like Factory Girl then, and that that kind of thing hadn't even crossed my mind. And the the ways of setting up fixtures in the database then for me were, I believe PHP Unit had the DB Unit extension, which meant you wrote rows in XML documents in your source code. You know they'd get loaded up by PHP Unit, or it was one it, you'd have this massive fixture file, so a complete SQL dump of your database. And then you'd go into that SQL dump and insert the records you required just for that one test method. You know, and then you could run your test. But then, of course, everybody had to do that for each test method. You had to go in and insert the into the SQL dump. You couldn't touch anybody else's records because that would, you know, break their tests. <laughs> and that was that was an absolute nightmare to run. And of course, especially if you've got several people on a team uh, all adding to this SQL dump in their branches and then trying to merge, and it was just messy. So I started, and then I started learning about the unit tests, and specifically I started learning about mocking things, and that's how I sort of like fell into that trap of mocking the things I shouldn't do. Is because the integrated tests were actually just really hard to get up and running. Um, nowadays, if you're using any decent uh, framework, you get loads of stuff out of the box, which makes this stuff easier. And it's basically just a case of communicating with people, saying use these tools because they are really good. You know whether the tools are for actually making calls into the application or for setting up fixtures behind the application. We have the tools now. It's just got to make sure people use them and don't fall into that trap that a lot of us did in terms of we start unit testing which or call, things we called unit tests when we were really just uh, setting up a lot of uh, testables that didn't really test anything at all. Right. And I I feel like that's a rite of passage. We all just have to do that. And then you come back and you're like, oh, my God, this was testing absolutely nothing whatsoever. Uh, I I feel like it's just a rite of passage we all go through. Um, I might still be going through it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, One thing that I I started doing on actually the last episode, which hasn't even been released yet at the time that we're recording this one, but I think uh, is an interesting way to close off the show is asking the question, what is one thing about you know, testing, programming, whatever related to this industry. Uh, it can be as technical as you want. It can be as high level as you want. It doesn't have to be the thing, but one thing that you wish you had learned sooner in your career. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, I, I, I've, I've already sort of said this. The one thing, if I could go back in time and tell myself, I would tell myself nobody agrees on anything in this world and jargon is completely all over the place. Uh, that was easily the most difficult thing for me. It's like what this community calls this type of test, this community calls that type of test. Um, what, what a Rails developer calls a model test or a unit test may not be what a PHP developer does back in the day. So um, yeah, it's really hard because a lot of these, at least as I understand it, a lot of these, these patterns and ideas, they kind of grow in multiple communities and they all kind of adopt their own names for it. So as a student, when you're trying to learn this stuff, it's like, okay, well, is this that? Because they're talking, they're saying it's okay to do this, but over here in this language, they're saying that's really bad. And it's like, it's overwhelming. Um, so yeah, I would tell myself, this is not something you learn in two months. This is something you learn over the course of years in your career. Nobody agrees. So um, just do your best and, and try to be reasonable. I think I said a similar thing last time, but mine is really is just work outside in. You know, 
or just always think about working outside in and get those integration or acceptance tests or just those bigger tests running first you know because you want those you absolutely want those and I quite often don't get down to the level of writing unit tests now because some of the features I write are so simple like a fairly fairly quick integration test is good enough and yeah just just work outside in and you, you can't go too far wrong I don't think awesome what about you Adam um uh, well, the one one thing that I mentioned already was the the not fearing using real collaborators and tests. That was a game changing one for me. The other one would be learning how to use array map and re- array reduce properly. Like if I had learned that years yeah, ago, you're into dude, that I'm, stuff I'm right obsessed. Now. Like this whole idea of like these functional transformations and like getting rid of those loops with if statements in them that filter things out and just like using filter instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? This idea of like transforming data in stages is like really fascinating to me and I'm getting really uh, excited about learning about more functional programming concepts. So that's been uh, really fun for me. That and uh, one other thing would be learning how to eliminate conditionals in my code at all costs, even if it doesn't make the code better, just because I feel like it works a part of your brain that's really interesting to play with. And I I think it frequently does make your code better. It shouldn't be a law, but a a fun exercise, I've done this myself, is when you're writing code, just assume conditionals don't exist. Just for fun, just as like a kata. And just see like, if I wanted to do this, like how could I possibly do it without writing an if statement and see what that would look like? It's it's a very good exercise to do. 100%. Is there anything else you guys wanted to uh, talk about or anything else you guys wanted to plug or share before we start wrapping up? No, I'm all good. We're good. Well, one thing I would say is... um, if you're interested in this discussion that we had today, especially the uh, don't mock what you don't own stuff, uh, Jeffrey put up a really excellent Laracats video on how you could do this sort of integration testing stuff against the actual Stripe API and what that would look like. So if you're interested in seeing what that looks like with real code and watching someone walk through it as they do it, definitely uh, check that out. It was really cool to watch. And I would say real quick, and if that's not the way to go, if you think there's a good excuse for why that's a really bad way to go about it, please go to the page and comment because I'm still learning this stuff too. Uh, That video was very much in response to our Twitter conversation and then also me realizing that for about four hours, cancellations at Laracast were not working, (laughs) which is really bad. Uh, So it was kind of serendipitous that we had that whole conversation on Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been awesome having the uh, chance to talk to you guys again. It's fun doing these... um, kind of roundtable episodes i think uh i enjoy doing them anyways so uh yeah thanks for coming on the show if anyone's interested in checking out show notes for this episode i believe they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 28 lots of links and cool stuff will be there hopefully when i go back and listen to this and find the interesting things that we talked about uh if you can rate and review the show on itunes that's awesome and thanks to jeffrey way himself uh and laracast for sponsoring full stack radio like they have been for the last little while i've been a subscriber since the very first day that it launched and i check it out every week and find all sorts of good stuff there so definitely check it out thanks guys see you next time